You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Good morning. So glad to be here with you guys today. We're going to dive into a new series today called Live Free. Now, I don't know about you, but we are starting to experience with the lifting of some restrictions around the the world, really some freedoms that we haven't had or that are returning to us over the last couple of weeks. Now, I want to remind you that I'm going to be sharing at the end of this uh, service today, at the end of the sermon, a couple of things from my heart regarding what's happening in uh, our country and uh, the world right now concerning uh, the reopening of, of the world, kind of, because there's a lot of conflict, a lot of disagreement about that. Um, well, we we are going to dive into a new series today on the book of Galatians. Now, I pulled out uh, just seconds ago, I just brought over from the drum kit um, this snare drum uh, from Tiny's drum set. And um, I, I don't know if you guys know, I'm a drummer. I've been playing the drums since I was eight years old. And uh, I used to be in a rock band and we used to play at events and, and travel and uh, used to open up uh, for larger local bands when I was a radio DJ. And so uh, I, I still love music. I play guitar now, uh, mostly. Um, but when I was in high school, I was in marching band. And when you came in on marching band, you, you came in on what was called a, a cadence. And a cadence was just kind of a, a rhythmic march that everybody came in on as you, as you marched in. And um, I don't have any sticks here, but I'm gonna see if maybe I can play a cadence. Kind of hurt a little bit. But that would be something like a cadence they've played over and over again. You'd have the, the kick drum uh, or the, the bass drum playing. It wouldn't be a kick drum. And you'd have uh, cymbals and you'd be marching. This cadence was basically the march that kept us in step. And it was the rhythm of our movement. And it's what took us between song to song and from parking lot to the field. And as we marched around, the cadence was an identifier of our march and our step. And today I want to talk about a cadence, a rhythm, a march that God has given us that is, it is a great declaration of Galatians chapter one. We're going to look at just the first few verses today. Galatians is a short letter. It's only six chapters. And in this letter, it's possibly the most significant letter that Paul wrote in the entire New Testament. Um, the reading of it actually launched movements that have changed the world. It was the reading of Galatians, Martin Luther said, that, that challenged him to put the, uh, the thesis on the walls of his church that started the Protestant Reformation. It has started movements. It has changed the world like no other letter in the entire New Testament. So this is a big one. This is an important one. Um, so as we read it over the next month, uh, a few weeks or several weeks, read it at your own spiritual risk because it has the, the opportunity and the possibility to totally change your life. It's always straightforward and sometimes it's harsh. You know, this, this letter is all about being free. Now, and if you're 
I don't know, maybe 30 or older, you might have seen the movie Braveheart. It's one of the great movies of all time. If you haven't seen Braveheart, it's a challenging and an inspirational movie. And guys love it, but there's a, there's a part in the movie where the, the, the protagonist, the hero of the story, is in the middle of, of being, uh, you know, tortured. And, and, uh, and there's a, a part where he just screams out, freedom! He shouts freedom. You think, how can he shout freedom when he is not free? There's moments where he gives inspirational speeches on freedom. You can take our, I forget the line, but you can't take our freedom. But when he shouts freedom, he's actually in a moment of bondage because he's teaching us through this story of William Wallace, uh, Braveheart is that story that freedom is a, me- is, is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of, of the spirit. Now, today we're going to take a look at what freedom looks like, all right? We're going to start right off, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. We're free from guilt, free from fear, free from doubt, free from sin, free from failure, free from wanting to quit. This letter is a challenge to live free regardless of our circumstance and I know for some of you it doesn't feel like freedom right now it doesn't feel like you're living in freedom in in your shelter in place and even as restrictions being lifted some businesses they don't feel like they're living free well you can live free regardless of the situation Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. This is Galatians 5, 1. And this is the heart of the whole letter. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Freedom in Jesus, uh, the apostle Paul compares it to a slave that has been set free. He, he compares it to to spiritual freedom, how a person in an oppressive state, impoverished spirit mindset can be set free through Jesus Christ. The urgency of this letter shows up at the end of the letter in uh, chapter 6, the last chapter of this letter in verse 11, he says this, he says, see what large letters I used as I write to you with my own hand. Now that may not stand out to you at first, but have you ever written a letter and when you start off, it's, it's nice and neat, and then as you write and your hand starts to cramp, the letters get all messy and sloppy and larger and bigger? Well, this is what's happening. This is one of the only letters in the entire New Testament that Paul wrote where he wrote it with his own hand. See, most of his letters, he's writing with a scribe, and he mentions the scribe, but not in this letter. This is the only letter that from beginning to end, he writes in his own hand. It's so pressing, so urgent, it's as if he just grabbed some parchment and immediately began to write. And even though his hand was cramping, the letters were getting large, he's, listen, I'm writing to you, and I can't stop writing until I express how I feel. Through the Holy Spirit, he writes a letter that is harsh at times, challenging always. This is an emergency letter. So with that, we start in chapter 1, verse 1. It begins with this, simply Paul. Now, I want to talk a little bit about who this guy Paul is in Galatians 1.1. Who is this guy Paul? Well, his birth name was Saul. 
And for most of his uh, New Testament career until he goes on his first missionary trip, is he actually called Paul. Saul is a Hebrew name, and he being Hebrew with a, with a Roman citizenship, he went by Saul until he started traveling to Greek communities and Roman communities. And because Saul is not part of their language, he changed his name to Paul in the Roman colonies. Had nothing to do with his salvation. In fact, for the first 13 years of his Christian life, he still went by Saul until he went on his first mission trip and he changed it to Paul on the mission trip. All right? So he was a, he's part of a popular family of Israel called the tribe of Benjamin. He's born in a city called Tarsus. And he was born during the life of Jesus. So Jesus had already been born. He was probably a child at the time that Paul, uh, earlier Saul, was born. Uh, he was named after the popular Israel king, Saul. And he was despised, uh, sorry, he despised and he persecuted Christians uh, after the movement of Christianity began. Uh, he was zealously a part of the Jewish community in Judaism. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, he describes himself, and he hated Christians. He persecuted them, he tracked them down, he, uh, he um, arrested them and, and was responsible for them being tortured and many times put to death until Jesus came into his life. And you know you're in trouble when the ascended Lord gets off his throne and appears to you personally. And that's exactly what happened. On his way to persecute and arrest Christians, Jesus appears to him, knocks him off of his high horse, so to speak. He knocks him off his horse onto the ground, strikes him blind. And he's given instructions by Jesus to go to a particular person who would pray for him. And he goes to this person, he receives his eyesight back again, he receives the gospel, he is baptized, and he becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, as you can imagine, Christians did not trust him, and so they, they ostracized him and didn't want anything to do with him. And so for the next 10 to 13 years, he just kind of worked in a servant's role, doing anything that they needed as a courier sometimes, and, and then he eventually ended up going back home and uh, he, he has the silent years. He, he was instructed by the Lord in the desert. He served the Jerusalem council, and then he went home to Tarsus. And for 13 years after his salvation, he did nothing until a guy named Barnabas came knocking at his door and said, hey, we're working at a church plant in Antioch. Will you come help me? And so Saul goes to Antioch with Barnabas, and the two of them begin to teach and lead this new Greek church uh, in Antioch. And it wasn't shortly after that that the church said, we want the whole world, the whole Roman world to know this message. And they sent Barnabas and Saul out on a mission to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. That means non-Jewish people. And as soon as they landed on that first island, the roles began to switch and Saul began to take the lead. And in this Roman culture, they began to refer to him as Paul. And so Paul and Barnabas became missionaries to the Roman and the Greek culture. And they eventually made their place up to an area in what is modern-day Turkey known as Galatia. He is responsible for many Christians, family members being tortured and murdered and imprisoned. His story would be like an ex-mafia leader or an ex-terrorist becoming an evangelist. 
So uh, today we would we wouldn't ostracize. We'd probably put him on TV, and and uh, he'd be the number one spoken speaker. Uh, but back at that time, they didn't trust him. Paul was completely transformed. He knew firsthand the power of the cross to save, to heal, to redeem. He knew how God's forgiveness can take and make people brand new. He knew God's grace. He called himself the chief of sinners. He knew God's grace. And God sent him to change the world. So he says, Paul... An apostle, the word apostle means delegate, sent with authority by Jesus. Let's go on in that verse in Galatians 1. It says, Paul, an apostle, apostle sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me. So he's saying that I am sent with authority of Jesus, the resurrected Lord himself, He says, if you reject my words, you're rejecting the one who sent me, Jesus. Listen, degrees do not give you the authority of God. A Bible study lesson and memorizing scriptures do not give you the authority of God. Only the calling of God himself is the authority. That authority can only come from Jesus. Paul did not go looking for ministry. God came looking for him. When was Paul's, uh, let me tell you what Paul's job description was, just so you know, well, I want to be a leader. I want to be an apostle. In 1 Corinthians 2.11, he says he was beaten, homeless, stripped, uh, shipwrecked, stoned, stripped, hated, left for dead in the open sea. That's our job description for ministry. You earn the right when you go into ministry to have sleepless nights and to be abused. He tells the Galatians that he bears the mark of Christ on his own body, literally from the beatings that he received. Leadership is not for the lighthearted. So he says, Paul, to the churches in Galatia. Now, what you see on your screen now is a picture of Galatia during the time of Paul. Uh, It also would have been during the time of Christ as well. This is Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey today. Uh, This is uh, cities all over the area. In fact, what's interesting is the book of Revelation was written to the same churches that this letter was written to. This is written to the churches in Galatia. This is one of the only letters that Paul wrote that is not to a church, but to churches in a region. So this was written and then spread around. While Revelation was written to seven churches, specifically in Galatia, they no doubt would have had access to this letter as this letter was written to them. Also, the only letter not written to a specific church. Who were these Galatians? You you might have also heard of them referred to as the Gauls. They They were basically Celtic transports. They were warriors and hired mercenaries. They were Celtic settlers forced into Roman rules. They were considered barbarians. In fact, of all of the Roman culture, the northern Galatia area was the only area that did not have to submit to Roman culture, but only said you had to submit to the Roman Caesar, but you could live any way you wanted. It was one of the rare independent provinces in the Roman Empire. It was filled with what they considered the Roman Empire uh, to be barbarians. They followed tribal gods. Uh, they practiced magic in the occult, and they were coming to know Jesus because of the work of Paul and Barnabas. 
Paul and his mentor Barnabas first went there in their first missionary trip in 45 AD, leading people to Christ. And they, they preached, God moved, people responded, they planted churches, they stayed a while, and then they moved on. And then Paul was writing to them, challenging them to stand strong in what they know is the truth and not to be led astray. Because what was happening after Paul left anywhere, there were a group of so-called Jewish Christians known as Judaizers that followed Paul everywhere he went. Paul would preach the gospel and then move on to another area. And these Judaizers, these so-called Jewish Christians, would move into the area after Paul and say that Paul is a false prophet and that if you want to be a Christian, you have to become Jewish. And if you want to be a Christian, you have to follow Jewish laws, traditions, holidays, practices, and other requirements in Judaism. So they would come in after Paul. So Paul got news that these guys, these Judaizers, were moving in to this area of churches that were growing in Christ and leading them astray. And Paul was angry. He says, what they're teaching you is leading you into bondage. It's not leading you into freedom. Cretus, Christ leads you, leads you to freedom. He says, but they're leading you to bondage and slavery. You know, I, I often think of like, we'll show this illustration next week, is, is, is like if I had a statue of Jesus and I put a bumper sticker on it, it'd be like Jesus plus something equals nothing. But Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And what these Judaizers were doing is they were coming and sticking a sticker on Jesus saying, yeah, here's Jesus, but you need this, and you need this, and you need this, and you got to do this, and you got to do this. And Paul is saying, listen, Jesus plus anything is going to result in nothing. And he was infuriated by this message. And this letter is almost angry at times. And it's very personal, and it's passionate. So he cuts to the chase and he starts off with defining what the gospel is in verse three. And this is what he says. He says, but uh, good news. He says, grace and peace to you from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil, according to the will of our God, the father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the gospel. Immediately he jumps off with, listen, you guys have been led astray. That's what he's going to get into. It gets pretty heavy, gets pretty harsh. Some of the most crass language in the Bible is in Galatians. And he says, listen, right off the top, this is the gospel. He reminds him straight from the top. He says, this is the gospel. What is the gospel? This is it. It is that the loving, uh, that the only sovereign and holy God of all things, he sees our, excuse me, he sees our sin, but good news, as a loving father, he sends Jesus to rescue us from our sin through the cross. Take a look at this definition. It's on the screen. The gospel is this. It, is, it means this. It's the only sovereign and holy God sees our sin. This is what he says in verse 3 and 4. But good news. As a loving father, he sends Jesus to rescue us from our sins through the cross. No one else. Nothing else. Just Jesus. In three verses, he settles the issue. 
In three verses, Jesus came, Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus was buried, Jesus rose again, and we are free from our sin. Why did he die? For our sins, for our freedom from sin, because we are sinful. So he says right off the top, you will not have an understanding of the gospel unless you have an understanding of your sin. And he says, listen, we are set free from our sin through Jesus. Remove sin and there is no good news. Churches try to be tasteful when they talk about sin. You know, they try to avoid that, that three-letter word, the three-letter S word. Well, we don't want to talk about sin. We want to talk about how good God is. And so a lot of times churches will, will kind of paint over or whitewash the problem. Listen, without a problem, there is no solution. Without bad news, there is no good news. The bad news is we are sinners, all of us, born into sin, born dead in sin. I'm born with a disease called sinful and selfishness. And Jesus came and rescued me. Good news, reality check, God loved us first, sought us out first, and came to save us from our sin. We can't have the gospel without sin. So what I want to do is I want to take these few verses, and I want to give you a true and false, a false gospel and a true gospel. Here's the first thing this, is that the difference between a true gospel and a false gospel is this, is that a false gospel is this, Hope is found in here, in your heart, in yourself, and out there, in other things and other people. Right off the top, Paul says this, man, that Jesus gave himself for our sins, because we have a problem, and to rescue us from the present age, the world has a problem. A false gospel will try to tell you that you are the solution, and that somebody else is the solution or that there's hope in someone else, that there is hope in being a good person, that man is ultimately good. If you just look inside, follow your heart, tap into your goodness, humanity at its core is good. And in the world, there's things that we can find good. And yes, there's things in the world that are good because what God creates is good, but man is not one of them anymore because of the fall of Adam and Eve. Hope is not found in the world, in a friend, in a husband, in a wife, in children, in a new house, in a new car, in a new lifestyle, in a new political movement, with a new president. It is not found in the world. He says, Jesus came to save us from our sins and to rescue us from the present evil age, the world. You know, the word penitentiary, the very first prison in the United States was in Pennsylvania, and it's where we get the word penitentiary, not from Pennsylvania, because the word penitentiary is from the word penitent. You see, prisons, like a church, were attempt to rehabilitize people by putting them in solitary confinement. They believed that if you could put someone in solitary confinement, that they could find the goodness inside and be penitent and feel sorry for their sin or for their crime and make penance for their time. However, what we found out in our penitentiary system is that the more you put someone in solitary confinement, the more it drives them to more violent and crazy behavior because the answer is not in ourself. If I lock myself in a room, I'll never find hope in me. 
If I'm locked in a room, I'll never be able to fix the problem with me. Galatians 1.3, grace and peace to you from our God and Father who gave himself for our sins, the in here, and you rescue us from the present evil age, the out there, according to the will of God. This is what the true gospel says. The true gospel says this, that we are evil in here and out there. While the false gospel says there's hope in you, the goodness of mankind, just follow your heart. The gospel says, no, your heart is wicked and that evil is only in here and only out there. That's what the gospel says. Is the world evil? Well, you tell me. That's why we sign contracts, because a shake of a hand isn't good because the hearts of men are evil. Infant murders, genocide, slavery, abuse, corruption, you tell me, is men, is mankind or men and women good? No, we are evil. And that's the problem. But good news, in Jesus we have freedom. Turn to somebody and say, freedom. The good news is we have freedom in Jesus. He rescues us from our sin in here, and he rescues us from the evil world out there. Here's the second true or false. False gospels tell us this. False gospels promote man or mankind. I should be wealthy. I should be healthy. I should be happy. I should be attractive. I should be successful. I should feel good um, with self-help, self-love, self-actualization, uh, uh, self-esteem. Uh, if I could just look out for my needs, look out for number one, then I will be happy. Listen, a false gospel says that Jesus came for you to be happy. A false gospel says that God came for you to be wealthy and to be perfect in your health. And listen, I tell you, when Jesus comes back, we will all in Christ, if you are in Christ, be healthy. But until then, we're not guaranteed health on this earth. And if a person comes to you and says you're guaranteed any of these things, that is a false gospel that promotes man. A false gospel says you don't exist to glorify God, but God exists to glorify you. A false gospel says Jesus is the means and the way to fulfill your full potential. Listen, Jesus is not here to fulfill your potential. Jesus comes so that we might be in him, be people who will fulfill God's full potential on the earth. It's not about us. A false gospel says it's about you. We can achieve it through our works, our efforts. You know, the lie, the first lie in the garden was, you will be like God. Look what we can accomplish. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But the Bible says, we don't even have boots without Jesus. Here's the true gospel. The true gospel reduces man. It lowers us. It calls us to be humble and broken it reduces us to a place of humanity. The Bible says we are totally depraved. There is no good in us. There is no good in us. We are born sinful, dead in sin. We are born selfish. If you've ever had children, you never had to teach them to be selfish. You had to teach them to not be selfish. You never had to teach them to hit. You had to teach them not to hit, not to bite. You had to teach them to be kind because we are bent towards selfish, aggressive, behavior 
but God would have mercy and kindness and grace on us? Soon I'd be thinking, all right, well, if I give my life to Jesus, what do I get out of it? That's the problem. That's the problem. Some of you guys are asking, well, I want to give my life to Jesus, but what do I get out of it? If that is your perspective, you follow a false gospel. Here's the deal. If God gets the glory, you get the joy. That's all it comes down to. If God gets the glory, you get the joy. And if we die to self, we get to live. That's pretty good news. And if we lose our life, we will in Christ find our life. And that's where we find freedom, where we can live free. We must have the true gospel, not a false gospel. If you are living a false gospel, looking out for yourself and the pleasures of this world and think that somehow God is your key to having all your dreams come true, you'll never be happy because that's a false gospel. You'll never be free. You'll never truly know yourself because that is a false gospel. Here's another false gospel is this. A false gospel diminishes our sin and our sinfulness. What's that mean? That means ultimately when we diminish sin, we diminish God. If we said, man, my sin's not that bad. I mean, I'm not as bad as the other guy. You know, you might think I might be bad. Yeah, I might lie, but I don't lie like that guy. You know, I might have done some bad things or, or maybe got drunk, but I've never, I don't get drunk as much as that guy. Or I don't do drugs like that guy. Or I've never done as many violent crimes or done something bad as that guy. We, always, we compare our sin. We diminish our own sin. And we, when we diminish our own sin, you know what we're doing? We're diminishing God. Because we're saying, well, God's not really that holy. You know, I'm kind of like God. You know, I'm not as bad as that guy. So I'm a little bit better than God, that guy. So because I'm a little bit better than God should allow me. Because I'm not as bad. Listen, when all of our sin is pretty bad all of it because God is very holy and when we diminish our sin we're actually diminishing the holiness of God thinking that somehow he will wink or let our sin pass and that he's not that holy listen a false gospel will say you're okay you're not as bad as the other but listen this is what a true gospel says a true gospel elevates God a true gospel elevates God. It reveals that God is good and we are not. The true gospel says that God is holy and we are nowhere near his perfection and holiness. And distance, the distance from God and our goodness is infinite. There's nothing. We could not work enough, climb enough, be good enough, be clean enough to ever be near enough because God is holy. And the only hope is a rescue mission from God himself because we can't get there, but God can get here. See, the true gospel says that somehow we're not so bad. But the, I'm sorry, a false gospel says that we're not so bad, but the true gospel says that we can never be good apart from Christ. Think about it. God is holy and eternal. Any sin we commit is an eternal sin with eternal punishment being its fair justice. Therefore, only an eternal sacrifice could save us. That's Jesus. See, the gospel is Jesus. And this, I want to go back to the cadence. This is the gospel. 
the, the cadence of the gospel, the cadence of our faith is this. We are sinful. God is holy. God came to us. Jesus, God in the flesh, lived died, was buried, rose again, redeems us through faith. This is the cadence. This is what we play. This is what we sing. This is what we preach. This is what we march in on. This is what we march out on. This is what we march through life with. This has got to be our step. This is the cadence of God. The gospel is Jesus. Paul sets us straight. We are not the answer. Hope is not here or out there. It's not in here in our life, in our heart, or out there in the world. It is only in Jesus. Some might say, well, okay, I've heard this before. Can we talk about something else now? How long are we going to talk about the gospel? Listen, I love my wife. I tell my wife every day I love her. And she tells me every day she loves me. And I don't think I've ever said, honey, I'm kind of tired of you saying I love you. Could you tell me something different? <laughs> you know? I, I don't think I've ever said, gee, you say I love you all the time. It never gets old when my wife says I love you. It never gets old. I like to hear it. It sounds good every single day time every day because I need to hear it. Listen, this is the gospel. God loves you, and he sent Jesus to die for your and my sin. I like to hear it. I need to hear it. I need to hear it every day. I need to remember it every day. Paul says, remember the gospel. It is alone about Jesus this is the good news. This is the cadence. First Corinthians 15, he writes to a church in Corinth. He says this, now I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. This is what he did a lot. Because as Christians, even then, first generation Christians, they would give their life to Jesus, receive this truth, and then their life would somehow sometimes go back to normal. And Paul's like, no, listen, remember every day, you got to get this into you, and I'm, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you. This is the gospel, he says, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. This is what we stand on. This is what we march in on. This is, this is the cadence that we play. By this gospel, you are saved. No other gospel than what he's about to say and what he's already said in Galatians. There is no other gospel which can save anyone. It's not through Muhammad, it's not through Buddha, it's not through Confucius, it's not through self-realization, you know, realization. it's not through any other means but through this gospel. And if you hold firmly to it, to the word I've preached to you, he says, otherwise you believed in vain. And this was a problem that was happening in Galatians. And this is why he wrote the letter, because he was frustrated and irritated that the gospel that they were received that they were straying from so he says this is the gospel for what i received i pass on to you as of first importance this is the gospel he says this that christ died for our sins christ did not die to show us how to be a loving person he didn't show us just through his death what love looks like he died for our sins he died because of you, because of me, 
because of our selfish, sinful nature and self-destructive behaviors. He said, I have come for your sins. So he says that Christ died for our sins according to scriptures. That means it was prophesied before and he fulfilled over 300 plus prophecies of the Messiah and his death and resurrection, his, his salvation through sin. It's fulfilled in scriptures in Jesus. He says that he was buried that he was raised on the third day, that buried meaning he actually died. He didn't swoon, he didn't, he didn't faint, he didn't like go into like some, you know, quarantine for three days while he recovered. No, he died and he was buried. He was put in a tomb and he was raised on the third day according to scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, and then to the 12. And then he goes on and lists hundreds more who saw him alive after the resurrection. I want you to notice this. Verse two, by this gospel, you are saved. This is the true gospel. If you hold firmly to this word. See, this was the problem in Galatia. Many of them were drifting and wandering from the gospel. Let's go back to Galatians chapter one, verse, uh, chapter six, verse, um, chapter one, verse six. And again, this letter is unique. It's the only one that does not contain a word of thanksgiving. In all of the letters, he tries to find one thing that he is happy about. You know, one encouraging word, the love sandwich. He does it in every letter but this one. He has no, nothing good to say because they were spiraling deep into a false gospel. Verse six, he says, I'm astonished. I'm blown away, I'm shocked, I'm bewildered that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. This is not about our works or our actions. He's gonna pile this on pretty heavy later on. He says this is about the grace, the gift of God in Christ. This is what it's about. And you're turning to a different gospel. You're turning to a different tradition with a new agenda, a different cause, a different movement. Listen, there are a lot of churches that embrace different causes and movements. A lot of churches, unfortunately, become very political during political seasons, and they start posting political stuff. Listen, if we have any other cause, any other movement, any other agenda but the gospel, we are heading into false gospel territory. Be weary, uh, be leery rather, be cautious of churches that preach politics of any denomination because they teach a different gospel. Now they may believe in the gospel, but if their message becomes something else, they're leading people to a different gospel, all right? Because ultimately if they're teaching politics, they're saying that somehow politics is connected to the gospel, which is not the gospel. Verse seven, which is really not a gospel at all. <laughs> he says, man, it's not good news at all if it has any other agenda other than the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ who saves us from our sin. If there's any other message other than that, it's not really the gospel at all. It's not good news at all. He says, evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert, that means twist, the gospel of Christ. 
But even if we, even if we, even if it's me, even if it's Paul or Ted or Sam or any one of us, even if it's us or even an angel, some spirit, some so-called angel from heaven, if any of them should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be under God's curse. Listen, many false movements. Some of you guys said you watched Waco on, on a Netflix over the last couple of weeks, and it's the story of David Koresh here in, in uh, Waco, Texas, and that Branch Davidian movement that uh, turned a preacher into a cult leader and just caused all kinds of trouble and death. Now listen, he began to preach a different gospel. He began to say that he, eventually he began to say that he was the second coming of Jesus and he began to use that authority to twist and pervert the scriptures. Many false movements start with a vision or a visit from an angel. He says, if there's any other gospel preached other than the one that you know, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, who saves us from our sin, if you hear anybody preach anything other than God in the flesh who saves us from our sin, let them be accursed. Let them be under God's curse. That word there is anathema, which means eternally condemned without hope. Let them be without hope forever because it is a false gospel that only brings judgment. Well, some say, well, it was a big angel. You know, when I, I saw a big angel, it stood at the foot of my bed or I was in the woods meditating. And it, it, listen, if you see any vision, if you see an angel so-called, ask him who Jesus is. Paul says, if he doesn't say that he's God in the flesh, who's come to save us from our sin, he's a false spirit. I think of uh, probably the most famous angel, Moroni, who supposedly appeared to Joseph Smith. He began to preach a completely different gospel than what the scriptures say. He says, man, you're not an angel from God, you're a demon. That's what he should have said. But he twisted it. He was probably a charlatan. He probably didn't even see an angel at all. And he started a false movement and began to abuse and use people. And today we have a church that is built upon a false gospel. Let me tell you something. Well, you might say, but, but the angel has verses. He quotes the Bible. Listen, I got to be honest with you. Satan is a great Bible professor. And, the, and he's actually probably on the faculty of many Bible colleges because he likes to twist scripture and he's got to know it to twist it. If I preach another gospel, if Ted Blair pushes a different cause or agenda other than the freedom of Jesus Christ in Christ alone, run away or run me out from this church. Then he says it again, just in case you went to public school and missed it. He says in verse nine, that was a joke. Verse nine, he says, and we have already said, now I'm going to say it again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you have accepted, let them be under God's curse. The word there, anathema, means go to judgment or go to hell. He's literally saying, let them go to hell. If they preach another gospel, does your version of the gospel determine your eternal destiny? Absolutely. Does what somebody believe about Jesus determine your eternal destiny? Absolutely. 
What you believe about the cross and the resurrection and forgiveness of sins, does that affect our eternal destiny? Absolutely. Does what I believe about my own sin determine my eternal destiny? Absolutely. What's the greatest threat to the gospel? It's not Satan. It's not world religions. It's not cults. It's not atheists. It's not governments. It's not the culture. The greatest threat to the gospel is you. Those in the church. For Jesus, the greatest threat in his life was always sitting at his own dinner table, Judas. Everywhere he went is one of his own that was his greatest threat. And listen, the church is filled with people who believe a false gospel. And they're spreading and teaching a false gospel because they don't want to or don't believe or don't accept the true gospel. You and I are in deep trouble apart from Christ. We are sinners. We don't want to accept that. And it is only through Jesus Christ that we are born again. We don't want to accept that. And that it is only through being born again that we can see the kingdom of heaven. We don't want to accept that. We begin to think that maybe God winks at the people who are, you know, have good motives. Well, God, God will give them a break because they have a good heart. God will give them a break because they're sincere in their own religious belief. Listen, do you believe the gospel? You're born sin, in sin, dead in spirit, in need of being born again. Jesus is the only way, and apart from that, there is no other. Do you believe that, or do you promote a willy-nilly, false, soft, untrue, demonically inspired gospel? Acts 20, Paul describes three types of people in Christ, and I think we're gonna take a look at this in our small groups this week. In Acts 20, he says there's three types of people. There's the sheep, the people who love the Lord and live the gospel. There's the shepherds. Those are the church leaders who oversee them and teach them. And then there are the wolves. And these are false teachers who will pervert the gospel. And Paul says in Acts 20 and Ephesians says, I warned you day and night for three years about them that they were coming. And he even says at one point, he says, and some of them are in your church now. He even says that some of you in your own leadership will become wolves. So with this, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, we're going to begin to wrap this up today. And it says this, and I am now trying, he says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? He says, listen, let's be honest. There are some preachers out there, they just want to please people. They want to preach tickling ears sermons and feel-good applicational messages only. The Bible is applicable, and a lot of our life teams talk about its application to our daily life, and you can talk it out, but let's be honest. The gospel is also filled with very, very intrusive truth that convicts and changes us from the inside. Some people, uh, people preach to please people, and that's the real question. The gospel forces us to decide between people, between people you love and Jesus. Some of you, you love your family and your friends, and so you give them a false gospel. Just come to church. Just believe in God. And you wink at their own sin, thinking surely they're a good person, so God will give them allowance 
And in that way, you're diminishing their sin and diminishing God's holiness. You have to choose between the people you love and Jesus who you love. Are you going to please this person or Jesus? Somebody will not be happy. And I would rather have my friends and family and culture and people be unhappy with me than Jesus. He says, who am I trying to please? Human beings or God? Am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. If your goal is to be liked, you will never be a very faithful disciple of Jesus. You will not be very faithful. So I want to wrap this up with a few thoughts from Galatians, a couple of take-home things. First thing is this, a few thoughts about this passage. Even well-taught Christians can be led astray by false doctrine. We see this over and over through the scriptures, and this whole letter was written to well-taught Christians, taught by the Apostle Paul himself. He spent years with them, sitting with them, having meals with them, Bible studies, teaching, preaching them, well-taught Christians who are now being led astray by false doctrine. Listen, it doesn't matter how long you've been in church, you can begin to accept false teaching if you don't pay attention. It doesn't matter if you're reading books by someone who you thought you trusted, you need to check what they are saying to the gospel, through the scriptures. Be alert, look out for your friends, look out to those next to you, look out for yourself because even well-taught Christians can be led astray into false teaching. Here's number two, sometimes the truth demands that we expose errors. And you're gonna see this over and over uh, again in Galatians is that he is exposing the truth, uh, sorry, exposing the errors in light of the truth. And when you see an error, sometimes God is calling us to expose that error in light of the gospel. There are things that we can differ on. There are things that we can debate on. And there are things that we should divide over. And when it comes to those things that we divide over, the gospel is not one of them. And Jesus and who he is is not one of them. There are things we can discuss and debate. There are things that we must divide over. And sometimes the truth has to be given and it exposes errors. So sometimes you have to be willing to, as Paul does, even in this letter, give names and give examples of false teaching. Verse three, uh, sorry, the third thing uh, that I want to point out is that not everyone who claims to be a Christian is one. We're going to see this over and over again in this letter. He says, there are those that were counted among you who are not one of you. There are those that, that, that even those that some of you that are watching today, there are some of you that are, that are watching and even go to our church. And some of you that don't go to our church and you're listening today and you think, well, I'm a Christian. Well, not everyone who claims to be a Christian is one because they believe in a false gospel. They believe in a false Jesus. They don't follow the gospel of Jesus. Jesus said this in Matthew 21. Just listen to this verse. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, but Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Didn't we do a lot of spiritual things? And in your name, did we not drive out demons? Man, didn't we actually see like a lot of miracles and signs and wonders? And in your name, didn't we perform many miracles, uh, the verse says. And then Jesus says, and I will say to them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Listen, it's a truth 
of the gospel, of the true gospel, that results in a changed life, in a true life. And there are those of you that think you are a Christian, but you may not actually be born again. Here's the last thing I want to point out, and then I want to pray for us today. And I have a special heart-to-heart I want to share. As number four, there's only one true gospel, and all others are cursed. Only one true gospel. There's only one God. There's only one way. There's only one Savior. There's only one gospel. There's only one Lord, and there's only one salvation. And there's only one that will give you freedom. There's only one that we can live free through. All the others, Paul says, are cursed, condemned, eternally condemned. See, some people, they don't even like that. They don't like being said that Jesus is the only way. Well, what about all the Buddhists? It's a false teaching, and that belief system is eternally cursed. What about Muslims, sincere Muslims? Well, it is a false gospel, and that, you know, message that they teach is eternally condemned. What about just good people that don't believe in anything? Listen, if they don't believe in the true gospel, what they believe is eternally cursed. This is the reality of a true gospel. And this is the challenge for many of you. And this is why I said that some of you who think you're Christians are not because you don't believe the gospel, the true gospel. And this is probably why some of you have never shared your faith once in your whole life because you don't truly believe the true gospel. This is why this letter is so powerful. He really begins to pile on the the severity and the urgency of the gospel. Paul declares the true gospel up front, true freedom up front. Jesus was crucified. Jesus was buried. Jesus rose again and rescued me from my sin and from myself. So I have a question for you today. How's your marriage? How's your family? How are your relationships? How's your job right now? Many of you guys, well, you know, in, in, in the current situation, everything is very strange and weird and a lot of tense, uh, you know, conversations, a lot of issues, and a lot of the troubles in your marriage are really rising to the surface. A lot of the problems in your family are rising to the surface, and you need salvation in those areas. You need freedom. What's the answer? Can you hear the march? Can you hear the march of the gospel? That is our only freedom. That is our only freedom. Paul wrote this in Romans 1, 16. He says, for I am not ashamed of this gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes you need salvation in your family in your marriage in your life it's because you need salvation the gospel unleashes the power of God and brings salvation it's not a marriage problem it's not a family problem it's not a job problem it's not a financial problem it's a gospel problem listen I will never be afraid of the march I will never be afraid or ashamed of it for with its freedom That march brings salvation to all who believe. 
I want to encourage you not to miss a single Galatians week. We're going to go verse by verse through the entire letter. It's a small letter, only six chapters. We're going to look at every verse. It is one of the most transformational letters in the whole New Testament. I want to pray for you, and then we're going to have a family talk. God, thank you, Lord, for the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves us from our sin. Maybe you're here right now and, and you're not sure if you're a, a, a Christian, if you're not sure if you're born again or not, you can be right now. If you will believe in this gospel, if the Holy Spirit is drawing you and moving you and speaking to you, that's God's work in you to come to the gospel. The truth is you need Jesus. The truth is we all need Jesus because we are all dead in our sin but good news, Jesus paid the price for our sin on the cross. If you're here today and you would like to know that you are born again, just take a moment and talk to God right now, right where you're sitting, right where you're standing, whatever you're doing in your car or you're listening right now, say, Jesus, here's my life. God, here I am in your own words. Here I am, Jesus. Forgive me of my sin. God, I am a sinner and I need you, God. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus, God in the flesh. Thank you for dying for my sin and rising again. Thank you, Jesus. Work in me now through your Holy Spirit. Show me how to walk and live for you. Thank you for saving me in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let us never, ever, ever forget the cadence of the gospel. Every time you hear marching band, think of the cadence of the gospel. Jesus, God in the flesh, lived, died, was buried, rose again for our sin. By faith, if we believe, we are born again. When you hear the march, Remember the gospel. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.